Hello, Cycle Cross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 234 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, we are recapping and analyzing and breaking down the Mountain Bike World Championship XCO Cross Country Race and also the XCC Short Track races that took place last weekend. If you haven't checked out Zach's breakdown of the men's and women's races over at the CX Hairs Bulletin, which you can sign up to at cxhairs.substack.com, get on that. It, it'll it'll complement the conversation that we have, plus it will already put you in a place to get all the up-to-date news on cyclocross season once that comes, because as you know, that's our forte And the bulletin is where we are giving you all of that reporting, plus letting you know when new videos come out and new podcasts and everything else. So cxhairs.substack.com, go sign up for the bulletin. Also, as you know, this is part of the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network, this show, and we would love for you to become a member of that network. So go to wideanglepodium.com, sign up there. All right, it's Cyclocross Radio episode 234. Zach's here. Elizabeth's here. I join in. We're talking about the Mountain Bike World Championships. And we're doing that right now. We are back in the media pit, the mountain bike media pit with Elizabeth and Zach and Michael is not here because he's dealing with hurricane stuff. And actually, uh, as we are recording this, he just was able to return to his house. Uh, he had to evacuate to Mississippi. So back in his house, supposedly no damage, but we're waiting to hear more on that. And I think, uh, when we reconvene for some cyclocross talk, maybe, uh, next week, we'll get the whole, the whole rundown from Michael on how, how life is post Ida. But we are here tonight to talk about the Mountain Bike World Championships, which happened last weekend. For me personally, I was able to catch the last lap of each race live while in the North Woods in Minnesota, where I would sneak away to the one little place where I knew I could get coverage and just be in that little that little corner. And I got to see the... Uh, the final laps of, of both cross country races and then also the ends of both short track races. So I was, I was like the perfect fair weather fan where I just, you know, got to see the end of the races and then today went back and, you know, saw them in depth. Bill, it was like, it was like the red zone, but for bike racing (laughs) in a world, in a world where we have like 20 bike races going on every day, we could have like, you know, the bike race red zone or whatever they call it, like the last kilometer. I'm sure they could come up with a name, but that's literally what you had. Just the, 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 all the, all the hits, all the hits. But where do we, where do we want to start? I'm assuming we want to start with the short track. Should we just uh, go in order and start with the, the women's race for the short track? Let's dive right in. I mean, first ever short track world championships. Uh, pretty exciting to have this discipline make it to be its own world championship event. And I think notably without the kind of goofy, not goofy. I mean, there are reasons that we like the fact that there are the 
quirks that come with it accompanying a a World Cup weekend. Like you have to ride the same bike for both days and there's the whole staging and so on and so forth. But coming into it, I admittedly, I wasn't I wasn't really on the up and up on how they qualified for for this. And so you have a whole bunch of new names uh, and I was kind of surprised, I'm going to say, with how many people were still riding full suspension bikes. Um, And, you know, maybe just because that's the bike they're comfortable on and they don't want to mess with perfection and they like what they've got. Um, But, yeah, a whole bunch of new names in the mix and a bunch of people uh, really, really crushing uh, this new world championship discipline for the first time. So before we get into it, do you want to do we want to quickly talk about the the differences between like a normal world cup weekend versus, versus this? And I think you, you were talking about it there, Elizabeth is really in what you can do bike wise, right? I mean, the world cup weekend, you basically have to have to pick your bike and you have to race the short track and the uh, XCO, the cross country on the same bike. So that, that was different for this, right? Right. That was different. So I think, you know, at some of the World Cups, we probably see different tire choices happening uh, from short track to cross country, especially if weather conditions change. But you might ride a faster rolling tire. You might tune your suspension differently. So, you know, having a bit of a a harsher tune to your suspension, um, locking it out, so on and so forth. But with this, because you're at that point, you're trying to dial your cross country bike for a short track race. Because really, the Olympic distance cross country race is, for one, about five times as long. Um, and so you're going to be making choices based on a course that's more demanding, more technical, and a lot longer distance and more points in the World Cup standings. So you're making your cross-country bike work for a short track. Whereas in this case, you could have made the decision to ride a completely different bike, uh, to set up everything completely differently with no consequences for how that would impact your your cross-country race. So, Zach, I'm going to bring you in here for our our, um, recurring feature of Rate That Short Track Course. Yeah, I know Elizabeth said that she really liked it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was good. I think in terms of producing the racing, you had groups, but they were small, which made it more dynamic and interesting. And I think it made for really dynamic racing. Uh, I mean, those climbs were just weird trying to describe the climbs even and doing a race report from it. Like they were so disjointed, like the climb up the rollers, like that was weird. Uh, but it also. I mean, it also kind of made it really hard to like attack up that. I mean, you could make like a brief burst and maybe pass like a person, but we saw it was really difficult for riders to figure it out in terms of maintaining momentum, you know, coming over the first hump and then spinning at like 110 RPM and then hitting the climb and then getting stuck. And it seemed like, uh, I don't know, it just made it for really disjointed, but you know, it was set up well for a good finish. It made it really tactical at the finish. And we'll obviously be talking about that uh, quite a bit here this, uh, for these races. The finish before the finish that Bill loves to describe. I mean, really, that to me, that was really the story of the weekend. Uh, if in you these go races. back and look at Valdesol, uh short tracks in the past, you know, going back even to like 2018, they they were like, oh, we heard you like park. We're going to put some park into your park. And they even had the artificial like almost kitty rhythm section that came in after 
the the uphill that the that was just like nuts. That was part of the short track as well, and and was a it was almost a skinny. I mean, it looked like it was maybe a meter wide. Oh wait, are we talking about the one that was the uh, the beeline in the XCL race? That little thing? No, there is a section though that was in the cross country race uh, that is this little built uh, rhythm section that Cena Fry used to pass people. Yeah, it was the like the beeline. I liked it. I made it made it for interesting viewing, and it was you know it looked fun to ride. It had some different aspects. I liked that it had different components to it, and you know there was still room to pass. You saw riders making moves. Uh, you know, especially strategically, I thought like the way that there were these pinch points. Uh, you know, especially in like I think the men's race uh, played a key role. But you know, riders making moves at pinch points and jockeying for position uh, was important. So I give it a thumbs up. Yeah. So in 2018, when we were first seeing these short tracks, I think when we when we got to Italy, that was this was the one that I think just those of us on the scene were like, okay, this this. This this looks like the first fun one that we've seen, and you know since that time they've sort of tweaked other ones. But yeah, this was this kind of was the first one I think everybody really liked. I think I think Matt Matt Delorma uh, deemed it the helodrome. So you're pro bike park <laughs> for for short track races. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay, fair. Exactly. Well, I mean, at least like they were highlighting like what their bike park had because like. What was it? Was it Leo Gang? We were like, wait a second, this track sucks, and you're this is a bike park? Like, I don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah, I think that's nail on the head. I, this was a like bike park features used to proper effect in a short track course. Uh it yeah, it was it it met the brief uh in terms of what you if you have a bike park and features to use on a bike park like this is the way to use them and the combination of uses i think it made for way more tactical racing than we've seen in most of the world cups um because of that because i think the way that the sequencing of features and open sections was such that there wasn't too much of one thing ever and it really broke up those sections in ways that i think made those features shine rather than be gimmicky where i think the a couple of the other bike park ones like leo gang were like oh this is the gimmicky short track or this is the gimmicky bike park part of the short track race and then we're going to have the climb part and then this and then that whereas this was had a lot more interesting flow and I'm just moving my hands around like a <laughs> Ouroboros because that's kind of how the track felt in my mind. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it, it really, it, it seemed very playful and the, some of the riders looked very playful on it as well. Um, which I think made it made for really fun spectating too. So I have a question. So we're t- looking at the the women's race and I guess I did not dive into the qualification, but like, the women's race, all of the hitters were there. The men's race, men's race was a midler race. Like, let's be honest. Uh, did the men not qualify or did they just say, I'm not even going to bother? Is this a situation where Nino like couldn't qualify? Because uh, I think that was a dynamic that I noticed. It's like, what well, this is like, for the most part, the elite women's field. <laughs> so the they had one qualifying heat for the women and everybody who it seems like everybody who wanted to who qualify out of that did uh the men had two different qualifying heats advancing to one final 
I think a lot of men just skipped it. That's the impression that I got. I mean, it certainly made, I don't know. I mean, like, we'll get to the men's. I mean, it, it led to a good result, but it was certainly more interesting uh, with the women seeing the the hitters there. And so here's a question. We talked about the um, the finish before the finish. Do you think doing the short track played in it for, it was an advantage, potentially? Like, would you view it as an advantage knowing, because it was the same finish, like, you know, it was up over the flyover, that one turn into the chicane, and then boot. I don't know. I guess that was one thing I was thinking while I was watching it. Yeah, I, I don't know, because it, it, the interesting thing is that, you know, we'll get to it with the cross country, is that the, the, the finish before the finish historically for the cross country races, and I don't want to jump ahead, is not where the move was made in the men's race. It's, it's, it's up much higher <laughs> and farther away from that. And so, so it was interesting that, that, that was, uh, the move. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I want to talk about the, uh, that when we get to the men's race, especially because I think we saw a carbon copy in the short track race of what we were going to see in the cross country race and, and, and everything that played out after that but let's uh let's just let's just uh get into it with this women's race as you mentioned zach all, all the hitters there and all the usual suspects really at the front you know minus a couple who 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 fell off but the 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 strongest racers from the olympics and on were all were all vying vying for that front group in this in this women's short track race I do want to give a shout out to the person that tweeted at us who said, I hope Rebecca McConnell wins. So we have to finally definitively say that she's elite. Didn't happen. Didn't in happen. In both races. Yeah. <laughs> so she sorry. Was- I forgot whoever tweeted us at us. I'm sorry. But the, 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 the needle was definitely, I mean, she was there. Like I, she was up in the mix and she was making moves. I think like even like five, lap five, like she was on the front, but uh, but you know what she did do? She just won the seat on the uh, UCI Athletes Commission representing mountain bikers. So gold medal to Becca McConnell in political representation. It's it's the media pit bump. Yeah, there you go. So if we're talking about this race, guys, is it really the last lap that we need to to talk about? I mean, I, I didn't necessarily. I mean, like PFP kind of went in lap six of seven, kind of got erased. I don't know. It seems like it was kind of all about Cena Fry, Elizabeth, and like making her. She seems like a different rider the last few races. Yeah, I I think I mean, I did think that PFP's move was uh, a dangerous one. And had she not missed a pedal or bobbled like she came out of her pedal uh, and it slowed her down. And that's what closed the gap or what let Cena close the gap initially. Um. Had that not happened, I don't. I still don't know that PFP would have stuck it. I think that Cena was coming on strong. I think this just gave her uh, more to seal the deal on it. But her line choices. I mean, she was she the pass that she makes where it almost looks like she uses the bank of a velodrome to come around like with that extra speed to make the pass i it is a sick move uh and she had that in her and that was you know i think it was just waiting for the right moment for that to come out and uh it it did to full effect and 
I mean, credit to Evie for taking it to the line. Uh, because I think that, again, I, I, I do think I watched the race twice because I watched it by myself and that while working. And then, um, again with my husband several hours later, because I was just screaming at my computer in my office, um, by myself and felt a little guilty. And so anyway, I watched it again and I think watching it again, I felt like it just looked like Cena was waiting to pounce, um, knowing what was going to happen. I think that Olympic race and the Olympic silver did wonders for her confidence. Not that it wasn't already strong, but that was a moment of real arrival for her as an elite racer, even though she's been at the, you know, she's been in the top five consistently, but she has now arrived back at her world champion level U23 confidence. Um, And it was, I mean, she just looked amazing doing it. I think she also, if you look at that race, she was able to burn the least amount of matches to put herself in a winning position. And, you you know, maybe even a, a little, um, foreshadowing of what we would see in the cross country race. Evie had to make up some ground and then pass PFP and then get up to seeing it even, even fight for the win and that she was able to bring this thing down. Spoiler alert to a, a, a photo finish was, was pretty amazing, but, my main question I need to ask Zach, and I, I, I this is I'm sort of bringing this over from from the gravel world, from Grodio. Is PFP the MTB Vill? I mean, I she seems like a nice person. Exactly. I, Until you get her on the track. I mean, where did she make like a really? I mean, there wasn't there the the there was the the last year where she got really pissy with uh, Evie for yep. in the sprint or whatever. But like, what did she do? I don't know. I mean, it just seems like she goes out and then fate. I don't know. <laughs> I I just that's not I the question like, I was expecting. I don't. <laughs> I feel I don't think she is, but I feel like she's definitely racing with a chip on her shoulder. And that- oh, absolutely. I mean, that clearly Loana, Loana LaCompta is just clearly residing firmly in her head. Like Loana, Loana LaCompta has just like, I mean, she's, she's, she's packed the, the trailer. She's got the airstream. She's just moved that in and put down, you know, a new bed and it's just sitting there. And I, I feel like, I mean, in the cross country race, it seems like she was kind of almost like, oh, she's gone. I'm going to do this thing. And it, did not work. Um, but yeah, I, that was kind of an impression I got. I think that she resides rent-free, uh, LeCompte does, in PFP's HUD right now. Yeah, and I, I've talked about it before, but I think there, there was this U23 class that have all excelled now. Just just amazing. You, you usually, I, I, you'd have to go back to, to find a, cl- a graduating class who did as well as Cena Frey, Evie Richards, and Kate Courtney. I mean, just just outstanding. Like all three of them now in one discipline or another have a world championship pretty early on in their, in their elite careers. And they were the three battling each other. U 23 for a couple seasons. So Bill, you find that we finally found a mountain bike results site, which has been great, but like it blows my mind that people were so surprised. Evie Richards had 16 world cup podiums as a U 23 rider. Like 
her last three seasons, she was like one or two in like everyone. And she just, I, I guess, like Bill, like, did she finally show that she can deliver on the big stage? Because Evie Richards was kind of a I mean, zero podiums, I think, at U23 Worlds, if I'm not mistaken. So finally showing that. Uh, but it just kind of blows my mind that she was like discounted. Everyone's like. You know, was so surprised when she won the short track. It's like she was literally on every podium for four years. Like, what are you surprised about? Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I feel like so not to be all smug of like, I don't know who was surprised because I know a lot of people who weren't. But it does kind of feel like that. And I mean, you know, to his credit, Rob Warner wasn't surprised. And that I think is british prejudice but uh it, there were people who were paying attention who were not surprised that evie was doing well uh i think it's a big miss that she was overlooked by other people uh because she clearly was she was also splitting disciplines and so that's you know which is why a lot of people who are cyclocross fans knew her and knew what she was capable of but I, being a super fan of both cyclocross and mountain biking, felt kind of the same way about her in cyclocross when she came in and won the cyclocross world championship. And there were a lot of people who were like, who's this Evie Richards? I'm like, she's a good mountain biker. She's really great. Like, that's why she can throw her bike down a hill and handle it really well. So it's funny that you say that as like feeling that way about mountain biking. Cause I totally felt that way when she came into cyclocross was like, I know who this is. No, I'm just saying like on the broadcast, like they're like, they, they still go back to it and they're like, she showed everyone who she is. I'm like, I'm, I'm drawing from what I've seen of just like watching these broadcasts and seeing how people talk about it. Like you're right. Like it was like, duh, like she's good. She won Namur at age 20. Like, what? But then you look for me then looking at like, cause I know for cyclocross magazine, we would give her the shout out and I just hadn't realized the sheer volume of podiums that she had. And to your point, Cena Fry, two golds and two silvers in four world championships as a U23. I think, you know, I guess if you're new, you might be like, yeah, but like the, the, the level of her accomplishment, she was elite as a U23. And so it was awesome to see, like you said, her get that confidence and she's starting to to ride like it and put that together. But before we leave this one point, Wood Evie had won had the men's race occurred first, because I think she blew the finish. It was clear that you weren't going to win a sprint. That was too short of a finish. Even she gave it her best and she still couldn't do it. Like, should she kept should she have because she kind of tried, but should she had I think Blevins played it right. Blevins sprinted to that corner. And he knew that he, all he had to do was hold on for like four more seconds. So like, I, if, I don't know, I, I'm second guessing her decision, but Elizabeth, you made the point that she had to burn a lot of matches, but I think she should have put in another dig out of the saddle instead of trying to pass in, in the saddle. You're right. I mean, we definitely saw with what happened in the men's short track and also cross country race, the move, the move to made to make was, was near the, um, was either near the pits or after, and that's that's the interesting. That's the thing that I want to talk about with the the men's short track race because uh, Blevins' move actually was much later than than we saw Nino make his move in the in the in the cross country race. 
Well, and I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I think like if you want, I just, you know, you go back and watch, like, I think he, he understood, especially because so, and I'll, Elizabeth, I'll let you do the, uh, the Avancini coverage uh, here in a second. Cause I think there's a lot to talk about there, but you know, like he had punked Avancini on this corner on the uphill, like to take a spot to move to second. And then Avancini kind of punked him to move. So he's third wheel, but he sprint. He was like, all right, look, I'm going to sprint, be first into that corner. I'm going to rest for like 1.5 seconds as I put my left leg out on the turn and then all i need to do is sprint for three more seconds and i think he knew that and i mean that's the thing about blevins he's a very it seems like he knows how to race bikes <laughs> like uh he's very smart so i thought like the way he did it was just brilliant in my opinion like the level of knowledge to understand like to think like th- three it's like chess right like two steps ahead i thought was just brilliant by him yeah, well, and I think, you know, talk about watching a race again, and I somehow, uh, my husband had managed not to get spoilered uh, to the point that we watched it. Again, despite me, like, literally screaming at my computer one office over. Um, and it's so late into the race that this decisive move happens, and it looks with one lap to go like there's no possible way that anybody's going to catch Brundle because Brundle has played the Vanderpool card and it has a huge gap. He's got like 11 or 12 seconds, and which seems insurmountable. And, and Blevins, yeah, so, so smartly knows exactly when he needs to make that move and how deep and how aggressively. And it's, and like watching that, you know, that one second, like you said, where he is coasting through the turn and you can see his upper body just relax for a second and that moment of confidence. And then he goes into that finishing sprint and finishes unlike Cena with a gap because while I think he felt good and knew what he had done in that sprint finish before the finish and the other guys knew it too and knew that there was just no coming back from that. And so, I mean, of course, I am, you know, I am happy for my disparaging, the friend I disparaged so much, Avancini, that he had a good performance in a short track race, but um, it was not his day either. Uh, Well, and to his credit, he did the work to bring back uh, Brandel. Oh, yeah. Like, so to his credit, like, Avancini was very aggressive and he did the work because I, like, it seemed like there was that moment, right, where they come around the corner and you see Brandel and, you know, he has that lead and you're like, I could see them just like totally putzing around and blowing this. Like, who's going to do the work? And at least to his credit, he was the man. This is true. uh, Who did the work. So, uh, he earned his silver. So we alluded to to the move that he made right at the pit entrance, kind of diving down inside of Blevins to make the pass. And when we come to the men's cross country race, it's going to be a very, very similar uh, move that, that decides that race. So my question for you all, was that a risky move? Was it a dangerous pass? Which one? No, it's bike racing. (laughs) Don't leave your, well, whatever. It's like you, you you leave the inside open. Like, I don't know. Like, he ain't going to pass you on the outside. If you go outside, and we'll get to this for our boy. Uh, so we'll, Luke, just, yeah, like, we'll just put a right, pin So if in you that. go outside, like, 
if you if you protect inside and slow down, going outside, they're just going to run into tape. Like you know, like that you have to protect. It's not your six, but I guess it's your. Your three, three and nine. Protect, yeah, the three and the nine. But like, take that away because even if you have to slow down, you're sprinting out of that ahead. You're going to come out with a gap anyway because you're in the lead. They have to, you're brake checking them. Like, um, that, so that was one thing to me that was interesting about these short track races is because it was a good course. It was different that, uh, jockeying for position really mattered in these groups. And so you saw little moves taking spots and little moves, you know, people kind of resting and people taking advantage of it and seeing it to that to perfection. And Avancini and Blevins were going back. And I, I thought it was super enjoyable yeah. from a, from a tactical, I guess you guys, you said that bill, like from a tactical standpoint, just both races, super enjoyable. Yeah. And that was the thing with, with Blevins and I, and Elizabeth, you mentioned it was, he was just, he got past and it did, it didn't phase him at all. He was like, that's fine. You can, you can drag me a couple more feet before I do what I need to do. And that's exactly what happened. It was just so, yeah. So kudos, Chris Blevins, just, just an amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so exciting. And I mean, also, a really sweet post-race interview if you haven't had the chance to see it shouting out local weeknight short track racing in his hometown in Durango and doing this as a kid and um yeah I think it's it's going to be cool I think it's cool that we're going to see a world champions jersey in the short track discipline next year or I guess maybe even starting this weekend I don't know if that's uh I probably will uh but I think that's it it's it's cool to have seen the discipline come into its own and have such a good debut. Yeah. Should we head on over to the uh, cross country? Let's do it. Yes, Zach. Before we do that, can I ask you guys another question? Uh, So Blevins kind of went in with the strategy. He's like, I'm going to win a lot of medals. Like that's what I'm going to do. And I think he sacrificed some Short track play or uh, XCO placings, he did quite well at top 20. But do you think that that was a he's only 23? Do you, do you think it was the right play for Chris Blevins? Absolutely, yeah, I mean, it's his no first, doubt. first year in the elites. Nobody's expecting anything from him. He's like a top 20 is a great, great result for him. I think you know, we all hope that he can do better in the future, but that's that's right. That 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 lines up with what he's been doing in the in the cross elite cross country races to date. So, yeah, if he put all of his eggs in the basket for earlier in the week. I mean, it's kind of a perfect world chance for him. Yeah. And it's, and it turned into a media narrative as well, which I think is an, an added win that, you know, he gets the medal in the relay. He wins the short track. He gets third in the e-bike race, uh, you know, and, and everybody's talking about that. And then he's making the commentary track, during the cross country race, which would not have happened yes. had he not really gone all out. And I, and I, I think arguably, even if he had just won short track and not then doubled down and also gotten bronze in the E mountain bike race, that turned it into this like funny story and good for him because he turned into a very lovable figure on the world stage in a way that I think other than U.S. fans, probably nobody really knew much of anything about him. I will say this, like, I mean, I I just, I love Chris Blevins as a bike racer. I mean, he's just so dynamic and so talented, but I I think there are other talented young Americans coming up right now, and I would be totally okay, and in fact, would would welcome Chris Blevins being the face of American cycling going forward, so, uh, versus, uh, I don't know, some other options. 
Like, cause he's a good guy. He's a good guy. I've interviewed, like, he just seems so humble and like fun and, you know, like anyone who can rap with Lance Haydet, I think is like a good <laughs> dude. Like, cause Lance is never going to let you take yourself seriously. So I'm pro Chris Blevins doing stuff like this. Yeah. And I'm also, I think, you know, it continues a, and, and go, goes even further with, I think, a really good storyline coming out of U.S. mountain biking, which is that NICA is producing world-class athletes across the country. And I think that's, you know, we're seeing that in both the men's and women's fields. And it's awesome to see him at this level. And that's being a continued narrative. I think that's really, really good for the future of the sport in this country on an elite level, but also on a participatory level. And he had a little bit of a pressure on him. I mean, he's on the little team that could. And, you know, Haley's already won a short track and podiumed in, in World Cup. He's got Luke Lamperti there, who's like the national, you know, crit champion. He's, you know, he's got to gotta make a name for himself. So, yeah, Tr- Trinity, Trinity, you know, going for team of the year. For, uh, and isn't he racing like Tour of Britain this week yes. or something? Yeah, like, it was pretty. I'll tell you, man. Yeah, the dude's a bike. When I interviewed him, I, 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 you know, I was like, all right, you're good at mountain biking. You're good. He's like, look, I'm a bike racer. That's what I love about I think that's Chris Blevins. It's just like, I'm a bike racer. Uh, so you put on BMX, he'd probably be pretty good. Well, I mean, I think that's how he started racing. Yeah. So, you know, okay. I, well, there you go. I think that he probably could be just fine there. All right, let's uh let's uh move over. Before we get to the women's cross country race, we need to talk about the U23 women's cross country race. And just, just to clarify here, cause I think there was some confusion. Luana Lacombe did not race a world championship. She was not feeling well. She dropped out. She was going to race U 23, right? She was not racing elite. That's, so that, I mean, what her, her Instagram post about not racing said that she was looking forward to defending her U 23 title. Right. And to me, that is clear as day that that meant she was going to do the U 23 race. Uh, which it's a shame that we didn't get to see what would have been uh, a potential answer to the burning question on the media pit mind, which is, what does Mona do against one of these elites? Yeah, and well, I mean, what she did against one of the elites was beat her by two minutes, and that was Laura Schneeger. So, uh, you know, Mona Mitterwalner just for real again now now the u23 so i think i think what i'm saying is i think a lot of people were saying evie as we'll get to wins the world championships oh oh what if you know much like we'll get to vanderpoel and pitcock not being on the men's side well loana wasn't on the women's side and my whole thing was like well she wouldn't have been there anyway because she wasn't entered in that race so you can't race against somebody that's not even going to be Entered in that. So category. you're uh, you're 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 quickly just taking before preemptively taking the asterisk away. Like yes. you're putting an asterisk block on anyone it's that like wants to put flicking an it off. But like, yeah. Well, but we saw that like she was she was certainly mortal at the Olympics, mm-hmm. uh, and apparently felt maybe what was she afraid of losing to Mona? I don't know. <laughs> what if she really wasn't the that intrigue? Real? So uh, Elizabeth. I think LeCompte being gone made the beginning of this race infinitely more interesting. Would you not agree? For the, the elite, elite race? race? Yeah, yeah, moving on to the elite women's race. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and I, I, I have to say, you know, I watched the beginning of this elite race. And very early on, I thought, okay, so we're seeing the 2020 World Championships all over again in which P. 
PFP makes a commanding attack fairly early on, establishes a gap, grows it to a comfortable place, and finishes her race in that comfortable place, very much like her young compatriot, Loana LeCompte, has been doing this season. And I, uh, I was really, really happy to be wrong. <laughs> even, even before we get there, Zach, maybe this is what you're getting at. The pace of this race didn't seem like it was like all out from the beginning in that and not any shade here, but that you had Eva Lechner up there leading the race that you had, you know, even Beck up there who I know can go hard, but it seemed like pacing in that first lap definitely was a little more chill than we've seen. Still hard, still a great race, but not the, oh crap, we've already been attacked one minute into this race and now we're in suffer mode from the start. So it just didn't destroy the pack and you actually had a nice group going through after lap one that was still together. Well, the prologue, you're talking about the prologue, yeah, right? Prologue, right? Yeah, the prologue was wild. I was like, what's going on? There's still like 10 people like at the front here. Like it didn't, it didn't, but to be fair, I think LeCompte has waited to the first climb. She's let things stay <laughs> together in the prologue. Um, it, was, I guess, it was almost like one of those Tour de France stages where they let the hometown people come to the front of the race and lead for a while. We got to say, it's oh, like, yeah, it's, it's like when they let the, when you let all the seniors start on senior day yeah. in high school, like where you, like, you know, the, the junior gives up his starting spot to the, to the guy, he plays two minutes and then, um, so Elizabeth, I was like in my write up, I was really trying, struggling, trying to like make sense of, of this course and the climb because, you know, there was the one section, there was a, like an actual gravel road climb, but it was like a technical disjointed like it wasn't like the kind of and so this makes me wonder if LeCompte would have ran away with it is it was so just not a straight climb it was not a climb up a mountain it was switchbacks in the woods up over these rollers that I still can't get over like what are I explain this I couldn't explain it it was just weird no I think it was it was actually I and as a mountain biker who favors technical courses and technical climbs over straight fitness climbs, uh, personally, uh, this was a technical climb. Um, not of, and I think there maybe are some comparisons to the climb at Nova Mesto where you have big rocks. I mean, it, in Nova Mesto, it's a little easier to see because, well, their camera crews are a level plus, but, and they've set the track up for that. And it's straighter um, instead of winding. I think if we could see the ground in some of this more, we would see more similarities to that Nova Mesto course, just based on what you see the, the body English of the riders doing is that they're having to go up and over some log feature, root features, rocks, things like that while climbing. And I think the kind of rhythm that you have to have as a rider to do that versus to slog up a gravel climb, you have to have a a, a more refined sort of climbing style um, that just fitness alone won't get you. And I think that's and there, it's not just sort of the long switchback climb, but there's also the section that I started calling the W. I think it's called, it was called something like the attack track um, in the official feature names. Uh, but that was, you know, you've got 
a, a stretch where you're going up some rocks, hairpin down, another hairpin back up. That's where on the first, either the first lap or the prologue, where Indergond is in third wheel and bobbles and jams up everybody. And that's where PFP and, and Neff get away. And so you have a climbing feature that's not one of the biggest climbs, but that is an uphill technical climb. Isn't that uh, also where Evie had to dismount and was running? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it's also where Evie ends up attacking PFP. Yeah. Um, so I guess if it, that is the attack track name, it was an appropriate name for that section of the course. Well, and I think that we can get into it a little more, but you look at those different styles and you touched on it and something that, you know, I'm sure we've said it here and and then tried to walk it back. Is Evie a climber? She's not a climber. She can't win these mountain bike rides. She can't climb. You know, she she proved everyone wrong all season long on different types of terrains. But I think that how that section you're talking about was set up was that she is such a powerhouse and a good climber that she's able to where you look at LeCompte or somebody even like Neff and they're super smooth when they're riding up there. But then when it gets to sort of these, these, these little roots and the little rocks and little switchbacks that need power to get over it, that, they're, they they got hiccups in there on PFP. I mean, that's that's was sort of her downfall. Where Evie is just so freaking strong and has those technical skills that she can just like muscle all of these sections and get up them. And it was really pretty cool to watch, especially in that sections to see her. You know, we'll talk about it even when she ends up getting to PFP and just never even looks back. I mean, just just amazing to 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 basically beat her at her own game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that is exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a different style of climbing. That is explosive power in the middle of a climb, resetting yourself, making sure you have traction, and then doing it again and again. It's not this sort of steady keeping traction. There are a couple of sections that had more, and there was one that was where one of the timing, uh, the split times was where they come around from camera right and our or camera left and are coming up the hill and you could see some were kind of paper boying it up that climb some were going a little more straight that's a climb where you need seated control and traction of your rear wheel to stay on it but these other climbs are you need to be able to apply power in short bursts to make it up and over something and then keep going and that's not something that we've seen somebody like LeCompte really like she can do everything. Yeah. But like, that's not her strength in the same way that Evie kicks ass at this skill because she is so strong and full body strong um, with that burst power. It's like doing squats on the bike. I mean, this was almost, it feels like a perfect course for Evie Richards. Like, I almost feel like if you're her and you didn't win this race, <laughs> you might be kind of disappointed just because, um, I think you nailed it, like the technical climbing. And I, you know, kind of was describing kind of like the power and just like her sheer power to be able to get over these features. And you saw where, uh, uh, PFP would hit it and just die. Like, she'd be going great and then like hit it wrong, you know, or spin out or something. And Evie's just like, excuse me, I'm going to beast mode over this. Uh, but at the same time, it was a really technical track, especially on the descents. Um, and Evie just excelled. I think, you know, if you're looking for a sign that PFP wasn't going to do the thing uh, running away is that there were some spots that she just 
really struggled. And, you know, Evie was able to take advantage of that. I think when she was coming back, it was like she was making up time on the climb and then also on the descents. And like, that's a recipe for, you know, just coming back. Um, but so like one question, like we saw, you know, Sandy Poof, uh, she won the Olympics. It was kind of like a more punchy, technically climbing than a straight up. I was kind of surprised that she faded so quick. I actually, when she got on uh, PFP's wheel and it's like, all right, this is the kind of climbing that like her style could do well at i was i was kind of surprised but maybe i shouldn't be maybe she peaked for the olympics and just kind of faded i don't know i was a little surprised but it was in that section that we've been talking about as as well where evie you know went from i think fourth to second i don't think we really saw it either i think they cut away and all of a sudden like uh uh, yolanda was in fourth yeah and evie had, had taken over with cena on on her wheel and a little like flip the script, if you were going to write this out and you're going, okay, on the, on the weekend, Cena Frey and, and Evie Richards won the world championships. You're kind of going the other direction. So it was, it was kind of cool to, to, to watch Evie be able to really crack Cena on, uh, you know, eventually, and then go after, uh, Pauline. And I think th- the main part that sticks out for me, Zach, what you're talking about is on the sort of the front of the course, right next to the downhill, that big drop and then immediate right-hand turn that Pauline almost came to a stop and then made the right turn, scrubbed all of her momentum and then never really got back up to speed. Evie at that point is 30 seconds behind her, cuts it to about 20 on the climb alone and then just rails that section and even you know that was where you could see it was like oh well she did that right pfp did that wrong but then you go a little farther down and there's that rock section that you could it looked like they were just going two completely different speeds through there and they get to the field and all of a sudden she's on her wheel i mean she basically erased 20 second seconds in two features it was Right. Yeah. And I would say that like watching her was hard, but we'll get to, uh, to the Changler and just how painful that was. So <laughs> we'll, we'll table that for the time being. Um, but yeah. So, and then she did the, the move. I, I, I liked this. I, it was funny. Um, after I interviewed Ailey, our boy, the Ezer beast, uh, he, after he won Trek CX cup, I thought was interviewing him and he talked about when he caught tone, like he learned as a, as a, a young rider, like if you catch someone to attack them, because they're 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 flagging, uh, and I guess the side story of this is that actually uh, Bodie's not here, but his partner Emily actually cited that as a thing she did in race once. I was like, wow, that's cool. He learned some. I think it's always fun to learn stuff from interviews, like when when riders that, uh, tell you how they want to race or whatever. But Bill, to your point, like she didn't. She went to the front, so she pulled around. She didn't pull away there. It was not to the kind, but she was just like, yeah, like I'm I'm on a mission. And to me, it was almost like to the start when she like past all of the people at the start and she moved up from like like 12th to 8th to 4th and it was just like whoa <laughs> like Evie came to play uh so i think it was pretty clear from to me like she didn't drop a whip but like that move was like to me her her tail whip theory of the tail whip moment like i'm here to win this race yeah. oh uh, uh, pa- pauline was the cartoon pie with the aroma trail behind it and like Evie was like floating through the air just like just it, just on a mission and and you're right and and the thing that i i really 
just with this whole EV and her climbing thing, what made me so happy was to see her do it on the climb to actually, and you're right. She never really rested. She got right up to the wheel and you're right. It's not like the tour de France where, or a long road race where you're like, okay, I made to the front. I can chill out here for a second. And then we're going to duel. It's like, this is a short race, you know, comparatively speaking, don't even let them catch her breath. And she just, yeah, went right by her. Never even, never even looked back. And it was just, yeah, I mean, they have like a brief conversation at the start of lap three where Evie's like, so are you going to, it looks like she's like, are you, you going to do anything here or what's the deal? And then is this, okay, bye. So I think, so kind of going back, I think one of the things with Yolanda on this is that I think there weren't enough technical descents for her to have the kind of advantage that she does on some other courses descending, especially against Evie, who's also a very good technical descender. Yolanda is a better one. I don't think anybody matches Yolanda's technical descending in the field, but there weren't enough decisive sections for that to make a difference. And on top of that, I have a feeling that she was quite satisfied with her Olympic gold and that was her peak. And this was you know, hey, if Worlds goes well, great. But if not, I'm the Olympic champ. I've already been a world champ as well. And and nope. And and like even less pressure f- from from a team standpoint. Yeah. She already got the gold medal, and her teammate is winning the race. So it's like exactly, perfect. exactly. And I I think so. You know, there's I think Cena also has some of the same characteristics in terms of power climbs that Evie does. Um, in terms of sort of her you know, power to weight ratio, I guess, or, or her shape and body position on the bike. Like she can do a lot of those things as well. I think this course suited her as well. And I think she just had a very consistent ride. Cena didn't have, I I think she used her explosiveness on the short track race. And I think she did a great job keeping a consistent race happening for herself in the cross country. The, the, evolution of Cena Fry is her descending. When she was yes. a U23, she was not good uh, compared to compared to Kate Courtney, compared to Evie in these races and where she would get her advantage was well, she was a much better climber. I, I think she still has that elite level climbing, but her descending has improved so much. And I think that's why we're seeing her at the, at the front of these races much more. Yeah, I always wondered on that, too, if she, when she was on Ghost, didn't actually have a bike that fit her, um, if that bike was actually small enough for her. And it seemed like when she switched teams that her stance on the bike got better. And I know, obviously, that's an awkward position for a rider to be in um, when, if if that was the case, um, to be like, well, you don't make a bike that fits me. And so I can't really talk badly on it because you're doing what you can. But it, it seemed to me, maybe it's coincidence on the timing, but it seemed to me like when she switched to the specialized, like, oh, you look a lot more comfortable on that bike when you're going downhill. So for sure. And then Ann Terpstra. What a great day for Ann Terpstra. I was so happy for her. Uh, again, like somebody who just was having a really nice, consistent ride and looked really strong climbing. Well, they were Bill. What did she win? Was she like the uh, the, the, the vice vice champion? Vice, yeah, it seems like she was like more excited for for finishing second <laughs> than no. Evie was quite excited yeah. about winning. Like, don't get me wrong, but if, if, if uh, Evie is unable to perform her duties as champion, then 
Yeah, there you go. Just in case, she's ready to step <laughs> she, in. She will be stepping in as vice champion. Yeah. Well, while well, we're keeping it light, can we, uh, just going to Evie, can we talk about, I felt it was just like peak Evie to be checking her shoulder six times in the last 20 seconds of a race <laughs> that she's winning by over a minute. Like, I, that just is, to me, is just peak Evie Richards. I loved it. I, that was the cutest thing. It was just really, really sweet. I think, I mean, I, I like just very, very endearing uh, in general to not, not be in this position of sort of this like cool stone faced. I've got this to just, I mean, and good because we have seen people get pipped at the line. So don't sit up early. Like it is possible that you could lose if you do that. And yes, she had like 45 seconds, but still you never know. You should never sit up. And she didn't. She absolutely never gave up. And I think that was a, you know, she didn't ever look like she was settling into her pace. And uh, I think that really, um, to have that carry through as deeply as checking over her shoulder when she had an enormous gap. Um, Hats off. That's the way to do it. Having gotten the opportunity to spend a couple seasons with Evie on the World Cup circuit as carefree and fun-loving as she is, and it is not an act, that is who she is. She, out of every athlete that I was, that I covered on the two and a half teams that I was shooting for, she was by far the most dialed in professional I've ever seen in my life. It was just, just from mapping out her day and just being able to if something happened that wasn't on the schedule, her able to adapt, change, but still just being able to meet all of her goals for whatever she was doing for a day, for having the communication with her mechanic, communication with the team manager, communication with the swan. You're, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to need. This is where I'm going to be. Can we, or can we do all this? And no, I, everybody else comparatively was a shit show compared to how, how just on top of everything she is so so that she has a success you know it is not a surprise because she's this great athlete but also just how much she has it has it together and something that you may not appreciate from what she puts out to the world because it's such a you know sort of happy fun loving persona that again is 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 not a put on but behind that super serious athlete who really really is just just treats it has respect for the job that she's doing, I think is, is the way to put it. And, and, and the last, last point, just sort of to build on that, I think some credit has to also go to Trek on this. So I think sometimes, you know, as a, from, from the road team to the mountain bike team to whatever, some, and, and this goes for all pro teams, you know, sometimes you, you sort of, you have an athlete and then you sort of may give them a little bit of time to develop. And then, you know, well, it's not working out. We're moving on. The the Trek mountain bike team has had a relationship with Evie since um, I think 2016, pretty much when she was a junior, she was still on GB, but she would warm up with Trek factory racing. She was basically, a you know, ad hoc part of that team. And then the next year she came in and she was still racing for GB, but she was a Trek athlete and just, just kind of, it's, it's a great story 
in a professional team that actually developed a rider and it paid off in the end. And, and we don't we don't see that story all of the time. And I think they might be doing the same thing with Mona. For because sure. Because they are there were plenty of things pointing out that Mona's on a trek. Well that came out of this world champion. Oh yeah. And she's getting her bike painted right now in Waterloo. So <laughs> Okay then. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not a coincidence. But it's also you will see it with um I'm going to get Riley Amos and RJ Riley confused. It was Riley Amos, right? Who was the... Yes. Who did well this year. Who did really well. Again, another one that was supported by Trek while he's there. So I I think they are doing a really nice job uh, figuring out... Well, it helps being the supporter of the Bear development team, too. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, that relationship exists. The same with uh, Mona being on a, you know, out of her local Trek um, team as well, so... Yeah. Well, and like you like to see it too, as we're talking about, uh, you know, USA, uh, you know, Jason Gay wrote that story for the Wall Street Journal. Like he, um, I don't know, USA mountain biking is kind of having a moment. We're seeing some talent come up. And I mean, it's cool to see an American company uh, support them and recognize that, you know, and they're uh, sponsoring Madigan Monroe as well. And so, I don't know, just cool to, cool to see and kind of gives you some hope for what's to come. Uh, with so much young talent uh, coming through the NICA program. And, you know, Riley Amos didn't necessarily have the result at Worlds that he wanted, but, I mean, he had an amazing season. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, both of the short track world champions are also on an American bike brand. For sure. So. Should we move over to the to the men's race? Sure. I think one one last thing was really nice to see a uh, the classic mechanics farewell to Maya yes. Vasoya in her last race. Uh so that was, was, and who was at the time of having a little bit of an incident and getting caught up in the tape, like in contention potentially for a bronze, uh, which is a heck of a way to retire from world championship racing. But uh, she's, I think, had a beautiful, beautiful farewell season um, and, you know get a little misty eyed at the all the wheels up in the pit so it was it was cute of her to basically say like well i kind of screwed up my chance at the bronze but otherwise i wouldn't have gotten the the celebratory finish in the pit so yeah i remember seeing that for uh jose armida at uh val nord a few years back and that was the first time i had ever seen that so it was sort of cool to to see that once again it's really sweet I, i really like it yeah. Well, there was at least the one photographer that knew it was coming too. Like I think oh, yeah. the photo that everyone oh. saw, but you could see him on the, uh, yeah. cause that was not the finish. Like the finish was no. already ha- was going on. Like they had someone at least that stayed there or came back for that. There, there is so much talk going on in coordination to make that happen that you, you pretty much, and, and a lot of the, the, yeah, a, a, the especially if it's a team photographer, they're going to, they're going to get the heads up before, oh, that's before right. that's yeah, going you're down. Right. If it's a team photo, yeah. you're right. All right, men's race. Where do we even start? <laughs> well, we had a similar. So we had like, uh, you know, we had like kind of hero ball in the fir- in the fir- at the beginning of the women's race that kind of went awry. Um, I don't know. Like Nito did the same thing. Like he he went after it. He he got that gap, and you're like, all right, well, I've seen this before. Like you know, Nino's had some good good attacks um, that have kind of you know he's. He, look, 
he has not taken getting old sitting down. He is still aggressively <laughs> yeah. racing his bike. But the thing is, like, Zach, you say you've seen it before. You're saying you've seen it before and they all catch this up. This season. No, this season. Right. Yeah. But here's the thing that Elizabeth can tell you about. For the decade before that, he would do that. And then it's like Vanderpool S. The race is just over. It's done. Or like, you know? like, it's just, he's gone. Yeah. It, it, maybe, well, that's what I'm saying maybe, is we've yeah. seen it happen. So like right. a, a lap into this race, I'm like, okay. Um, I mean, I saw, like, I admittedly watched it later. So for me personally, I saw you guys blowing up my phone. I'm like, all right, some cool shit happens <laughs> in this race. Uh, but I don't know what. Um, but I just, yeah. So to me though, and I, I almost forgot to mention this with the Chris Blevins in the last lap. There's that kind of pump section. He did a mini tail whip in the last lap. I caught it. Like, he did a mini whip. Uh, Nino, he sent a statement, Bill. <laughs> just going to say, that was a sick whip. And I was like, okay, all right. I, I think actually Nino Nino is here to play. I mean, like, I, that was a full-on tabletop. I mean, he was. Yes. Yeah, he was. Um, he was feeling he was his oats. That was like a happy donkey. Like, it was a full <laughs> whip. Like. Yeah. yeah. Well, so here's my thing about like the theory. Of, I know it's juvenile. I know it's silly, but like you don't, you look like an idiot if you drop a tail whip in lap one and get dropped in lap two. Like if you're doing that and you get dropped, you look like an idiot. It's like, why are you, why are you showboating when you should be focused on racing your bike? And to me, that's kind of the, the nut of it is like, I'm so confident I'll do this in traffic in lap one. I'm bringing it like we're going it's game on I, I also think that there are athletes out there Nino being one of um uh I think Vanderpool is another example I think Blevins is another example where that is so natural to them that it's not even show I mean obviously he felt good and he just ripped it and he, he said before it's like this is a spectator sport and they're coming to watch me I'm gonna give him a show but it's not it's not something that's like out of his comfort zone it's something that i think that it's almost like and you saw it a little bit in in the last lap of this race it's like when he pulls back and doesn't do it it almost looks more awkward than than him just like letting it fly yeah i mean i i you know i jokingly say it's like a horse or a donkey but like it kind of is like it is kind of like when a show animal feels good and they're like just kind of getting the wiggles out like <laughs> that's what's happening it's just sort of second nature to some of these riders i think to like it's just what their body is doing to sort of express out some nervous energy and in a way though that i think you know i, I i'm all in on this theory that if you're th- throwing a big whip it means you're feeling great and it means you're out to do good things um And if you're the kind of rider that does that and then gets dropped, either it's delusion or a lack of maturity. And so I think there's, and, and and this is neither of these things are things that I uh, associate with, with Nino Schurter, certainly not delusion um, and certainly not a lack of maturity either as now the oldest men's world champion. The, The other exception would be if you're already off the back. Then you're then you're right. given carte blanche to just do whatever. Well, yeah, that's the that's you become a crowd hero. Yeah. I mean, exactly. that's just that's that's you know bike racing one hundred and one, right. right? So, I what I felt watching this, and then once uh, Andre Sink went to the front, and and such a you know for the dangler to be 
out there at the front of this race, leading it. And in in the very low amateur level of racing that I have done, when I have found myself in the front of a race that I should not be at the front of, like just the pressure you feel and just how much you are pushed beyond where you really should be. Oh, I was feeling so much for Andre in this moment because, man, I have never seen a more nervous leader of a race before just bobbling and foot down and just, but still such a strong rider that he's able to do it. But there, Zach, are just some riders that are meant to be danglers. And if you're a dangler, you're not a leader. No, absolutely. I mean, it's just... (laughs) I was cringing. I mean, there were just so many cringe moments. I mean, there's the 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 one where that was a really technical section. I mean, I the camera work made it hard to see, but the one where he gave up the lead to where Nino passed him and then kind of kind of went for it and made his first dig. But I mean, when he almost crashed, oh, oh my god, him taking the beeline. I oh, so cringe. Taking the beeline on the rock drop like I I just felt bad for him. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Trust me, as someone who's just gets features in my head and would like, there's times where I'm like, please give me a, I would, I would gladly take like an eight second penalty to take the beeline, but at the world championships, that was kind of hard to watch. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it's funny because that again, now I feel horrible that I'm sort of like reverse anthropomorphizing these people, but that he, looked like a nervous animal, like all of these sort of bobbles and mistakes. And it just, Nino just was just, I think, like, like a cat playing with a mouse and ready to take advantage and really took advantage of this, like, whoa, at uh, a certain point. And I think like, I mean, the, the beeline on that rock drop, I think, was an extremely difficult beeline as well like the a line the rock drop itself didn't look that bad the sharp turn immediately following it which is what maya messed up and went through the tape uh that looked like the more difficult and kind of uh, frankly probably like just sort of soul crushing part of you send this drop but you can't actually send it because you have to immediately basically do a stoppy and turn yourself the beeline, you don't have that. And then you have to climb up to get over a root bundle. So it's like, slightly. it's not only do you not get the drop, you also have an awkward climb out of it. So it was a really punishing beeline. And yeah, I just, man, I felt so bad for sync. Like the whole, it just seemed like, you know, I think Bill, I had similar feelings watching that. Like, oh, yes. I have occasionally found myself in this position and you just make mistakes that you wouldn't ever make otherwise. And it just like you looked at it, you like Andre Sink is a much better mountain biker than this. And I feel like pain for him at this moment because it is not manifesting for him. Yeah. And once Nino was able to, get in the the clear the other thing that i think sink and some of the riders caused was holding up fluky i mean yes he was pretty far back and had had his work cut out for him before he was evil even able to to be a player in this race 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was, you know, in, in, in ways that weren't like it wasn't in, I think for if we want to contrast like where Evie made moves to get up to the front to be able to be in position, the race was all still a lot closer together and it was more strung out for Flicky to have to get around and get up to the front um, to be with Nino and in ways that probably were a lot more frustrating passes to try to make. Yeah, Bill, I noticed that as well. Um, I mean, I think it's something for Cross that I maybe obsess about a little bit too much, but just the positioning and you look at when Vanderpool will attack if Wout's fourth wheel, he'll attack because he knows that his only competition is in a bad place. And, you know, maybe that's a situation where earlier in his career, Nino would have rode that because he had a good 10, 15 second gap off that. And Fluky was in like six wheel or something, just wrong place behind a dismounting changler. <laughs> um, but maybe it's a, a situation where early in his career, when he could do that, he would have just stayed on it and ended the race there where this is kind of like the craftier, you know, the craftier person, you have to develop your, your craft, um, you know, pick your battles or whatever uh, as you get older and, you know, win in a more, well, let me just, craftier way. Yeah. <laughs> a better word. I couldn't think of a better word. <laughs> well, he took advantage of having Flicky pull him around for the majority of the race then. And just, I mean, man, the tension between those two was thick. Like Nino's buzzing his rear wheel. Like, wow. I don't know if you've ever had that done to you, but it sucks. Like it does not feel good. One, because you know that the rider behind you is just as strong, if not stronger than you are. They are wasting some energy to do that also kind of like there are a couple times where i'm like nino you, you should be careful because like if you mess this up it's you going down not him like the front wheel is the not stable one like that's the one that takes you out this is like bike racing 101 like don't cross wheels um but if you have the confidence to continually buzz the wheel of the rider in front of you, you are just wearing them down psychologically bit by bit by bit. And it was, uh, I mean, it, it, there was an element to this that looked like some sort of strange torture happening, um, unfolding over the course of the race. Well, kind of along those lines, I guess I was a little, so knowing what we know about how things have gone this season, like, I would guess this is the best season of Flukiger's career. I mean, his results have been, well, I mean, he's come up short a few times, but like, I mean, he's just, he's been there. He's been the guy, you know, he's the the one that saved Pitters or I guess really Pitters ultimately uh, would have been the favorite for the Olympics, right? He finished second there uh, and Nino struggled like Nino struggled. I mean, he did have that fourth, like he almost got a medal at the Olympics. I was a little surprised that maybe um, he didn't try to put in a big attack with, say, two to go or something, at least on the climb, to like commit to something to see, all right, let's see what Nino has. Like, can I break him? And he kind of made like a little dummy attack coming up on, the, on one to go, but it was like never, it was nothing he committed to. So I guess through that, I was surprised because nothing really happened. It, Minus all, apparently, and it, it, throw in him messing with his head and buzzing his wheel. Like, why not try to get rid of the dude for a bit or something? So I guess that surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I I don't think he 
didn't try. I just don't think he had enough in him and Nino had. Before we talk about the, the, the final and, and deciding lap of this race. And basically it came down to, to Fluky and, and Nino who were off the front. They were the, there was nobody even, even close to, to those two. One thing I think we quickly have to discuss is that we see throughout all these teams, a lot of teams have their equipment sponsors. I'm sorry, nations, federations have their equipment sponsors that are different than the, the teams that these riders normally ride for, you know, that we talked about Jenny Rizvids and just the, the whole issue that arose with her uh, years ago and the fight she had with her federation and racing for Scott. But Vlad Dasklu doesn't have this issue. He's, 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 I think Romania is just happy to have him there. I'm sure any kind of equipment he can get, they are like, just to, whatever you got, ride what you got. Did they make that kit? to match the Red Bull helmet. This is my question because it looked beautiful. It's like the Red... I mean, Red Bull is Austrian, but they may as well be Romanian because it just was... It was such a nice fit of from from the uh, helmet to the kit. I, I just... I, I think that, that, needs, that needs to be a shout-out. Like, that should be their federation. They should be a Red Bull federation from now on. Well, I like his national champs kit, too. I mean, it's always quite... I like the combo of the colors, but... Uh, that is a very, very good point. Well, and they have track too. They could track he's on a track. So I'm sure they could probably do even more with the project one with the, the guys in Waterloo, uh, painting the bike to, to match. Yeah. He was still on the Tokyo paint scheme bike for this race, which didn't, it didn't clash. It, it looked, looked pretty good too. But yeah, no, that's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful kit. Well, and I, I think it's like funny because in contrast, you think, like South Africa also has a beautiful flag and colors to work with and makes a really ugly kit out of it. Yeah, they, which, they still haven't figured that out for sure yeah. for for Alan Hatherley. Uh if we're talking uh if we're talking clothing choices, yes. I feel like too, I, I guess I was grateful uh that Nino was wearing the bright yellow helmet uh and, uh, yes. and Fluky was in white just because they're in the same kit and it's zoomed out but I was almost like if that wasn't the case I was going to be like why didn't Fluky wear the vest like I I was I was almost hoping but I backed off that position because well so early on actually cuz like uh Colombo was up in the mix and it was like like where which one of these guys is Fluky <laughs> like in this this mess I'm like why isn't he wearing the vest uh but it, it worked out okay cuz you had Nino and and you had Fluky with the white helmet. You could tell the the two Swiss uh, riders apart. So should we talk about this last lap with them both yeah, just sure. on yeah, each of it? Okay. okay. History. 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, Nino wins at Valdesol. He wins the uh, World Championships in 2016. You could watch all of those races and depending on who was on his wheel, it was Opslon, it was um, Kirschenbauer uh, one year. When it was that the the big hill before the final descent, sort of the straight hill that, that wasn't as technical, that was the finish before the finish. That was where Nino would put in an enormous attack. He would get out front and then he would just bomb the descent and cruise in and take the win in Italy every time. 
that was the game plan. He did not move from that game plan. Matthias Flukiger, he knew that game plan. He knew what was happening. And I was just like, I, when I was watching that, I was like, he knows, he knows. And he just crushed that climb. He was like, no, sir. You know, it's not happening. There is no way you are getting in front of me in this climb. If I get to this top first, I win this race. And I truly believe that's what went through his head. He beat Nino to the top of that hill, that hill that Nino always wins when he gets there. And he was like, I am world champion. And that was his fatal flaw. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Bill, because I think that's, uh, I think that's a very, very spot on assessment. And it looked like it in, in that last, and then basically like when that didn't work and Nino was still with him, you could see him try again and again. I'm going to stretch this out a little bit more. Maybe a little bit more. I'll break him. Maybe a little. Mm-hmm. He thought he had it. And I then, think he. Yeah. And then coming. Yeah. And then even coming down to descent where he was. Yeah. And he was. He had a great run on yeah. on that rock descent. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about how he was questioning the the final move. If he had eyes before his head, he would have seen some. Just some sketchy shit going on behind him that Nino yeah. was trying to like passing him on the boulders, like on the left side, and then having to like check up and and yeah, just just Nino just like pushing so hard, like so nervous that he wasn't going to have a spot to be able to get by because he knows I didn't get to the top first, so there's no way I'm winning this, and that's just what makes this conclusion so great and yet so frustrating yeah because i think that you know that's he did all the work right (laughs) and that spot on the that downhill like that was you know i mean fluky did a great job of denying the ability for that pass and that was an extremely risky move on nino's part uh he basically had to stop himself like close to midair to not take both of them out and and I, I, I mean, it was, it was, I, I didn't know that I, I was wondering what the limits were for Nino's uh, own sort of playing chicken with himself, because I did not believe that he would be able to, to do it. And was, I was expecting it would come down to a sprint finish. And so to see, because he was denied a couple of passes, um, Effectively, and I think Matthias was really holding holding a defensive position under extreme duress uh, quite well. And I mean, he must have been tired as all get out at that point. Again, going back to this sort of psychological wear down that Nino had been doing to him for laps after laps. Um, yeah. So what a move, Zach. They get to the end of that rock section. Fluky's out front. He knows he's won. He has won. Obviously, he didn't watch the short track race. What happens? Well, I feel like there's like a there's like a meme, and I, I'm going to do this wrong because it's a meme that I'm not up on. But there's like uh, me versus the I think it's called like the guy to not worry about, and it's always like, I, but, but this is what it is, right? It's like the 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 one for Fluky. Uh, he was. 
it'd be like a monster and like the monster versus like some like totally passive one and the passive one is the one to not worry about. And I'm doing this wrong. Someone can correct me. <laughs> um, but this is what you're describing, right? Is like the ones that he was so worried about, he successfully defended and there was just this corner uh, that was just there on grass, you know, nothing too special. And that was the one that they told him not to worry about. And it was like the one he didn't, didn't protect. I mean, we've already talked about it. Like he kind of left the, the inside open. I mean, to me, it just reeked of like a total cyclocross move. I mean, you know, I love to see it, but like any good cyclocross racer, that's one of the, I, that's one of the first thing I learned was about like taking the inside, closing the door the inside. It's a, it's a drill that you, you, you work on is like, you know, the, the two up drill, like deny that inside position, close the door on them. And he left it open. He was setting up to carry speed through it. And I mean, you know, I don't even, I'm not going to second guess him. Like, I, but like, you know, Nino kept trying and to his credit, he just kept trying, um, you know what? And if like he hadn't, if that hadn't worked, he probably would have done a Blevin sprint uh, past the pit. He probably would have tried one more time. Uh, and, you know, I guess you just kind of you mentioned it, Elizabeth, the pressure he was under and just constantly facing it. And yeah, it was just, it was interesting. This in the short track, it just like you had to be uber engaged, consistently always engaged and always making moves. And that can be hard to do when you've just spent an entire five minutes on a climb and a descent denying the guy. I mean, it was a brilliant move. It was just a great move. Like I loved it. It was so beautiful as a bike racing move. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, you know, to Flicky's credit, I don't think it's a bad move to try to carry the momentum in a way that in cyclocross that protecting, you know, protecting your, your inside is, is far more critical when you're in a lot of slow speed sections in this instance, I mean, obviously it did not pay off, but the the calculation to say I am going to be wider here because of the speed I can keep carrying, I don't think it's necessarily a mistake. It didn't work, but I don't think it's necessarily a mistake. And I think his reaction post-race um, and his frustration to this is evidence to the fact that this doesn't typically happen. Like this kind of a pass is more rare in mountain bike racing. Now, whether or not that should be the case or whether or not there are just racers who don't take advantage of this, I mean, that I'm not making any judgment on that, only to say in his defense that like, you can get away with that kind of move because there are a lot of mountain bikers who are calculating on this momentum. Well, and I think that like, to me, it was on grass. I the idea that it was dangerous. Now, if this occurred on, say, a rock drop or like uh, in a rock garden or something, to me, then that's dangerous. But like, this is like, I mean, it's like, it's on grass. And like, we talk about how cross crashes are, are a little bit generally safer or whatever. Um, yeah. And I had another thing I was going to say, and I totally forgot what it was. Well, just to jump in here, for those that didn't see it on his Instagram, Flukager, congratulated Nino you know, on, on the race, but then he just couldn't help himself from saying that the pass was, uh, not a safe move. It was risky. You don't do that, especially, you know, to a teammate. And, and I, I just, it, it, it sort of bummed me out because it, it was such a good race and such a fair race. And, 
and he got beat. I mean, that's the bottom line is he got beat by a guy who has proven through his whole career that not only is he is he stronger, but he's 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 like a fast twitch guy. He's able to like stop on a dime and make these just ridiculous moves like that and and make them successful. And and you're absolutely right, Zach, in that if if Nino had successfully made that pass on the rocks, I think we'd all be saying, yeah, Fluky, you're right. That was pretty shitty because that was a really dangerous pass and he was trying to do it. He just wasn't successful. But the, where he did actually pass him, you know, it was just like, he's going to create an opportunity. This guy didn't win nine world championships by, by not being able to do that, that, you know, you, you, you just got to, I understand the frustration. I just it just yeah. sort of bummed me out that he put it out. Absolutely. So I thought way. I was gonna say. So Bill Bill texted. Bill was, you know, he's always up. So he texted. He's like mountain bike beef. And I honestly I honestly thought Flukinger was gonna go off on Nino for sitting on his wheel the whole race. I actually thought that he was gonna criticize him for negative racing. I was I was kind of surprised that that was the thing. I was like, that? That was just a bike racing move. Yeah. Like him sitting on your wheel the entire race. That was kinda Right. The, the buzzing is the out. thing I would get angry about. Like, that's like, you know, buzz a teammate. Come on. Like, don't do that. The pass. Eh. Well, and it's I will make pass. this point. I, yeah, we saw with uh, uh, Gravel over on uh, the Grodio podcast, another wide angle podium uh, production. We've had Gravel beef, you know, and we had some women talking about tactical things that occurred. And a lot there were a lot of reply guys who just jumped in to call them sore losers for them legitimately having a complaint about something you know that was like they're just like hey we want to not do that you know i doubt that flukager had as many reply guys being like oh you're a sore loser um in his replies i didn't check but if someone wants to do that check i bet there were fewer reply guys for a much as you call that what do you call it elizabeth he was like Swiss sour milk oh, or something. Sour, I mean, yeah, it was so milk. weak. So, so weak. Like, he deserved to be called out, and I doubt he was. Yeah. No. Not with the same sort of vitriol and... Yeah. Oh, for sure. There's definitely... Self-righteous fervor of a good reply guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Any Anybody else? Um, Sam Gaze. Yes! Sam Gaze! Comeback kid! He was... A minute and a half down after like a lap. Yeah. And fought his way back. What did he end up? Sixth? Sixth. Mm-hmm. Great ride. Great to see. He was down I, in the 30s, I think, on the third lap. Yeah. He was the uh, Valero of, uh, of of the world championships. And, and somebody who's, you know, has been pretty open about just his struggle with bike racing over the over the past couple of years so to see him back and i think at one point even was done with mountain biking he was just i'm yeah. just gonna go race on the road you know he's on i think he's on alpha he's still on alpha phoenix okay mm-hmm. yeah he was he was gonna go and he was just supporting vanderpool on the road that was kind of his gig and then so it was good to see him back back in the mountain biking game and still still able to perform so maybe next season maybe he'll be up there uh fighting for wins again Speaking of like lowercase back, I mean, Victor Koretsky kind of bookending his season. I, you know, I think, I mean, he beat Nina. I like, he still may go down as the man. We'll see what happens next. Uh, the rest of the season slash next season, but like Nino kind of wants that record and he kind of took it away from him, uh, back at Albstadt. 
but we haven't heard. I mean, he's just been non-existent since then. He has just not been a factor. And so it was, you're right. Cause you're right. You're looking at him. You're like, he's had, you know, he had some good results last year. Like this guy can be a a player. He can make things more interesting. So it was nice to see him uh, grab that, that third spot and kind of, I don't know, get back to some form. I'm not going to say lower, not uppercase that Nino for sure though. Yeah. He's, he's now the number one ranked uh, rider in the world. Koretsky? Oh, Koretsky is nice. Yeah. 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 I, mean, it's, so, okay. I mean, I think he like he also put in a really solid race that we probably didn't. I mean, we didn't get to see as much of because of what was happening in the race for for the gold. Um, but he like any time the camera would go back to him, he looked like he was very in control of his position and and riding well. And I think it is nice to see that he found his form again after coming out really strong at the beginning of the season. Um, great race for Vlad, obviously. A great week for Max Brandl between the cross-country race and the short track race. And I think that's a, like, if we're going to put on some, like, bets on who wants to watch in the future, I think he's a rising a ro- he, his stock is rising, um, which is great. You know, you've kind of had years and years of <laughs> many, many, many years of Manuel Fumic representing for Germany. So to have a, a, a sort of a somebody to carry on the torch for German mountain bike racing is a cool thing to see. He definitely had an awesome weekend. You mentioned the uh, kind of camera pamming back to Koretsky. I think to me, the last lap highlighted red bull coverage v everyone else i was flipping my shit like there were 30 second gaps where they were not showing flukiger and Scherter, and i was like if the winning attack occurs here i'm going to literally just die like were you guys having similar similar feelings about that like why yes. am i watching the fifth place rider when there is an absolutely epic finish occurring right now and it occurred to me that i had not noticed that they just did not have good camera coverage at all yeah, it was there was a lot of definitely a lot of of uh dark areas on that on that track cuz there's this cool like wooded section back in there that I don't think we ever even even saw. Yeah, I mean if you go back and watch one of the World Cups, yeah. from this course, you will see a lot of things that we did not see during the World's coverage. I mean, at least the fr- at least the finish occurred on like the front of the mountain, so they were able yeah. to get good coverage on that. Because yeah. like, if there had been a dead spot in there, like like what if they had? What if we had missed the pass because their their coverage was? But you know, like it just would have. I was I was like, what is going on? It's like you know, like when you lose reception, I'm like, am I hitting your TV? You know, the old TV. Like, am I getting reception? It's like no. Nah, there's next week. Lenzerheide. On the weekend, yeah. we're back at it. World Cup race. That's a weird thing. I still can't get, I, I, I don't know. And maybe, maybe it's the American in me. I was like, championships are at the end of the season, right? Isn't that where championships are supposed to be? Uh, I'm a hundred percent. I can't. I, I just don't <laughs> even get me. I, I just, you know, my position on February cyclocross has been well established. Like the championships are the end of your season. <laughs> And it's not just one race this year. It's literally, isn't it like two of six? It's literally mm-hmm. a third of the World Cup, like yeah. overall, is yet to be raced. Yeah, just more so for long. the downhillers. The downhillers still have three. Oh, that's got right, because they got double, double snowshoe. snowshoe. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I guess more, more mountain biking to come. So 
Elizabeth, we'll be back. (laughs) I'll be back. See you next time. Hang in there, kid. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast. But we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.